God is good. He blew it out. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? This afternoon, I can continue the theme of oneness. And there's a handout that's going to be handed out to you at this time. And the sermon entitled this afternoon is entitled Love versus Forest, the Great Controversy. Love versus Forest, the Great Controversy. And we're going to be going a little bit into Bible prophecy to understand um, a little bit about this topic. But before we begin, will you please pray with me one more time? Father, I know I need you, and we pray for your presence and your spirit that it may speak to our hearts the message you want us to learn. We thank you, Lord, for already answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn me your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. Revelation chapter 17, verse 6 in your Bibles. And we're going to be looking at the government of God and the government of Satan. Love is the foundation of God's government. While force is the foundation of Satan's government. You see, throughout history of the Bible, you find, you always find that whenever one group tried to force or control another group, it always ended up in disunity and dissension, even within a church. And the sad reality is that those who try to control and abuse others, most of the time, and in fact, mostly all of the time, they don't realize that what they're doing is wrong. They think that it's okay. Now, most Christians don't want to know, hear what they're doing wrong until, of course, it's too late. They don't want to hear what they're doing wrong, that they want guidance until their family and friends had enough, that they're abusing them, they're forcing them. They don't want the advice until after the spouse has left. They don't want to hear what you have to say until it's already too late. But that's why we need to study Bible prophecy. And when we study this in the eyes of what's happening today in our churches, May God open us and help us to see what he wants us to see. We're looking at Babylon. Turn me to Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. What is one of the main characteristics of Babylon? Revelation 17, verse 6 says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So here is this woman which was Babylon, this harlot, this prostitute, and we know it's called Babylon. What did she do? She what? Persecuted, right? The Bible says here. She was drunk and she killed the saints. She destroyed the saints and murdered them. And that's why we know in the dark ages, anywhere from 50 million Christians were murdered in the name of Christ through the Roman church, right? Which was Babylon. I'm not going to go into the details of um, the characteristics of the Babylon, but we know that the Babylon or the papal church, it, it murdered 50 million people. Why did they want to persecute? Why did they want to kill? For the purpose to control the dictates of their conscience, to control how people think and how they feel. That was the purpose of the Roman church. Now, in the Bible, there are two Babylons. There's a Babylon of Revelation, which is existing today. And then there's a Babylon of old from Nebuchadnezzar. And if we want to understand the Babylon of today, which is the papacy, better, 
The best way to do that is to study the Babylon of old. Then we'll know what we shouldn't become like. So let's study the Babylon of old. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 30. Ezekiel chapter 30 in your Bibles, verse 10 and 11. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 10 and 11. How is Babylon known amongst the nations? Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 10 and 11. The Bible says, The Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar, Thus saith the Lord God, I will also make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of what? Babylon. He and his people with him, the, what is that word? Terrible of the what? Nations. In other words, Babylon of old with Nebuchadnezzar was known to be the terrible of the nations. Or another word for terrible is dreadful of the nations. In other words, Babylon was feared by all the nations around them. And why do you think Babylon wanted to be feared by all the other nations around them? For the purpose of what? Control. So Babylon wanted to control all those around them so that they could control. And today is no different. But for today, people use the same spirit of Babylon, which is what fear, to control all those around them. You see, that's what domestic violence is really about. You see, domestic violence is not really so much about violence as it is about control. See, the abuser wants to do is he wants to get you off center of your convictions. And they get you slowly off your convictions and slowly off your convictions and slowly off your convictions until you're so far away from what you originally wanted and used to believe that they're actually ending up controlling you. That is what domestic violence is really about. But it's also found not only in domestic violence and physical abusers, but control is also found in mental abusers, verbal abusers, emotional abusers, sexual abusers, and even found in the church, spiritual abusers. They want to control everything. You ever met anyone on the church board like that? <laughs> See, it's the spirit of Babylon that we're called here. And God has called his people to come out of her, my people. What do he say? Amen? And we're not to participate in any methods of Babylon, even within his remnant church. Come out of her, my people. In other words, my people are using the spirit of Babylon. Some, if I come out of Babylon, this is how people normally think. They think, okay, if I physically remove myself with my body out of this institution... And move it down five miles on the road into another physical institution building called another church, denomination, Seventh-day Adventist. And if I physically remove my name out of the books of this one church, Babylon, voted by membership transfer, right, or profession of faith or baptism into the Adventist church, and physically I write my name as a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church, I'm out of Babylon. But Babylon is, is less as much as a physical removal out of a physical building, beloved. Amen? Because the principles of Babylon is a spiritual thing. It's the calling out of the principles and the beliefs and the spirit of Babylon that God is calling out His people today. Believe what I'm saying. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? 
That is the calling out of Babylon. But what means did Babylon use to rule the nations? Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Let's continue on our Bible prophecy study. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4 and 6. Let's go to verse 4, just, just so you see that it's talking about Babylon here. Isaiah chapter 14, starting verse 4. What means that Babylon used to rule the nations? The Bible says, That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and say, How has the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? And in verse 6, He, Babylon, who smote the people in wrath with a continuous stroke, he that ruled the nations in, what is that word? Anger. Hmm. How did Babylon rule or control the nation? Through what? Anger. You see, it's through anger that people control others. True? Every single one of us here has been abused by someone who had wanted to control us. In other words, they had wanted to get us to do what they wanted to do. But not only that, we have all sinned, right? So we have always wanted to control other people, to get people to do what we want them to do, to control them. Why do we get upset with someone and we get into an argument and fight in our homes, with our spouses, with our children, our brothers, our sisters, our roommates, our classmates? Because we want it our way. Why? Because we want to control people. We want to reason with them and argue with them to get them to change their thoughts, to think like who? To think like you and me. Why? For the purpose to control them, to get them to do what we want them to do. That is the spirit of Babylon. It's okay to reason with one another. But to get angry and upset is the spirit of Babylon. Whenever we use anger, it reveals that we have Babylon in our hearts. The Bible does say, be angry and sin not, right? But we need to be angry at sin and love the sinner. What do you say? Amen? That's what the spirit of prophecy says. So to be angry at a person is the spirit of Babylon in control. It is when we nag our husbands or boyfriends to change that we have Babylon in our hearts. What do you say, amen? It's when we show impatience and irritation to our children that we have Babylon in our hearts. It's when we get livid and talk bad about our co-workers that we have Babylon in our hearts. It's even when we get mad at the pastor. You know I had to throw that one in, right? Because I'm a pastor. <laughs> because he won't do, or even other church members won't do, what you want them to do. That we have Babylon in our hearts. And God has called his people, come out of her, my people. I have nothing to do with Babylon in your hearts. Beloved, our worst enemy is not the beast that's living overseas, but our worst enemy is a beast that's living in our hearts. What do you say? Amen. On your handout, it says there from Signs of the Times, August 26, 1897. Self is our greatest one. Enemy. You know, I thought about this. And you know, when I was in, I was in college, and I remember, I guess with all my girlfriends, we used always to fight all the time. But this one girl, we always was 
Uh, they call it crazy love. So it was this crazy love. <laughs> and um, we used to get into fights. I don't know if you had seen people like that. We would like go to the mall and we'd be in the car and she'd be physically hitting me. I'm like, oh no, people are stopping and watching us. I'm like, so shame, right? Inside the car. And all these things would be happening. Like, oh man. And um, it just got crazy. One time she pulled a knife on me. I had to grab that knife and pull it out of my hand and throw it far away. Some of you can probably relate with that. <laughs> maybe not much. <laughs> I don't know where you're coming from, but maybe not Loma Linda. Or maybe Loma Melinda. <laughs> but you know, the reason why I used to always argue with each other, you know what the whole purpose was? So I could get her to believe and to do what I want her to do, right? To control her. And that's why people fight with one another. You know, it's not only in Babylon of today that they use for us. We learn in Revelation 17. It was not only in the Babylon of old of Nebuchadnezzar where they used force to try to get people to do what they wanted to do. But there's another beast that arises in Revelation 13 that I want us to look at. Listen to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 verse 11 in your Bibles. In fact, this second beast is called the image of the beast. The exact image is a picture or duplication of the first beast, which is Babylon itself. Revelation 13, verse 11. How does the second beast of Revelation 13 look like? Notice what it says here. Now, I'm not going to go to the details. I'm assuming you may know. If not, you can study on your own. What are these beasts, okay? We're going to look at the principle. I'm assuming you already know. But we're going to look at the principles of this second beast. Revelation 13, verse 11. How does this beast look like? The Bible says, I beheld another beast. Beast is a nation in the Bible. Coming up out of the earth, a relatively uninhabited place. And he had two horns, Protestantism and Republicanism, like a lamb. Now, when you think of lamb, who do you think about in the Bible? Lamb is Jesus Christ, right? So this nation was looked like on the outside a, a, a what? A what kind of nation? Christian nation built upon Christian principles. Falling after the first beast around 1798, which we rose in the late 18th century, the United States of America. So this United States of America in Bible prophecy. Revelation 13, verse 11. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? Mouth, what? Speaks. So what a person says out of their mouth reveals what's really in their what? Heart. And where's the heart? And y'all saw the inside. The inside. So Revelation 13, verse 11, this lamb-like beast, this Christian-looking nation that was founded upon Christian principles, spoke as a what? dragon so it spoke like a dragon because it has the heart of a dragon that's clearly me he say amen amen so the heart of the nation prophesied in the last days it will have the heart of a dragon now what is the heart of a dragon what characteristic defines what the dragon does 
Let's turn to Revelation chapter 12 or 13. Let's see the Bible says. Revelation chapter 12 or 13. Notice the Bible says here. Revelation 12 or 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he, what did it say? Persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. In other words, the dragon persecutes. But why does one persecute? Why did it persecute in the dark ages? Why would it persecute in the future? What is the whole point? The whole point is to get you to do what they want you to do. They want you to go, even if it goes against the dictates of your conscience. That doesn't matter. Satan wants to do is he wants to force you. He wants to manipulate you. He wants to control you to get you to do what he wants you to do. And he's going to get people to do that. And beloved, what's happening is that Satan is preparing you now. See, the mark of the beast is not so much in the future, some kind of big event that happens. All of a sudden, you know, you make one mistake and you choose to go on the wrong side. God is arbitrary and all, you made a bad decision, one bad decision. You're out of here and you're lost and you see the mark of the beast. No, the, the mark of the beast is that you've been slowly preparing step by step to giving you the dictates of your conscience now. And your character is being formed now when you try to control others and also you, every single time that you allow someone to try to control you, you're giving it and you're building up to make that final decision in the last days. Look at the handout there. Letter 130, 19-1. Listen to this quotation. It's a very solemn statement. Satan controls two people. Satan controls both the mind that is given up to be controlled by another, the person who actually is abused and gives in to their husband all the time and has no conscience of their own, the boyfriend gives in to the nagging of his girlfriend who always gives in all the time. Satan controls that person. And not only that, the second person he controls, Satan controls both the mind that is given up to be controlled by another and the mind that controls. Because control is of Satan's government. It's not of God's government. Now, what would the image of the beast do in the future? Revelation 13, verse 15. Know what the Bible says? Revelation 13, verse 15. The Bible says... Well, first of all, what makes, you know, the United States, it's so easy to point fingers, but what is a nation made up of? People. So when the Bible says that the image of the beast will be controlling, what it's really talking about is that the people, you and I, we make up, we constitute the image of the beast as people. In other words, the people, the culture of America in the last days is prophesied in the Bible. In other words, you and I were prophesied that in the last days we would be such a way that we would be controlling in our relationships with one another. And America is fulfilling Bible prophecy to the T. And unfortunately, the culture of America has entered into our church. And you've seen a spirit of Babylon even within its members. And even within our pastors. 
Members who want to control other people. And if they don't get the way, they get angry. They get upset. They want to manipulate you. Because if you get angry enough, then maybe they'll listen to you and then you'll stop doing what you want them to do. But you know, God doesn't want so much the external. He wants your heart. What do you say? Amen? That's what he's searching for. Revelation 13, verse 15. Note the Bible says, what would this image of the beast do in the future? The Bible says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause. What's another word for cause? Force. That as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Killed. You see, in the last days, unless you do what the beast says, you come to the point of the death penalty. You see, killing you is really just the final means of force an abuser will use in order to control you. That's the ultimate end. That's what the end. You know, they're trying different things to try to get you to do things what they want you to do. And in the same way, Domestic violence that ends with murder is just the end result of a means to completely control you. That's what it's really about. And usually abusers are very deceptive. First of all, they deceive themselves. They don't think they're abused. I don't think there's anyone in this room that actually think they abuse people. And to some extent, we all abuse people. Every single one of us is abusers here. And God wants to set us free. What do you say? Amen? I was giving counseling to this lady. And she was a pastor's wife. And of our denomination. And she said her husband was emotionally and verbally abusive to her. And she said that when they first started off in life and they got married, they were so happy. And they decide they're going to raise their children to be godly children. They're going to follow the spirit of prophecy and obey everything they know. They homeschool them and they're so excited. So they, they raise them that way. And then when she said when, when he became the senior pastor of a church, that's when he changed. He started to become controlling, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, turning the children against her. And she was living in such emotional turmoil. And she was hurting and in pain and in suffering so much. And said so what really hit her was she said that last week that her husband got a card in the mail from a church member. And even though he's emotionally abusive and verbally abusive and controlling and dictating to her, the church member wrote this on the card to her husband who was the pastor. The church member said to the pastor, you're like Jesus walking on this earth. See, that's abusers. Abusers don't know they're abusing, but, but abusers are very manipulative. And that's why, you know, a lot of times the churches are not trained to deal with manipulators and abusers. But these abusers can manipulate a whole church to even go against and make you look like actually you're the one that's the abuser. And that's what the spirit of Babylon is all about. Now what means of control will be used before the death penalty? Turn to Revelation 13, 
verse 16 and 17. Revelation 13, verse 16 and 17. Okay, there's a death penalty in the last days. We know that. They want to control you. But there's something else that happens before. And I want to see this because I want you to see the, the steps of an abuser. The Bible says here, and he causes all. What's another word for cause? Forces all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in the foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So before the final death penalty happens, there's going to be smaller laws that you cannot buy or sell, right? So there's come a time where you can't buy electricity, you can't buy water, you can't buy a new car, you can't buy a new home, you cannot buy food. You can't buy anything that the world offers. You must learn to be self-sufficient. And we need to learn that. What do you say, church? Amen? And this is how an abuser works. See, first of all, an abuser, they slowly try to get you to do what they want you to do through inducements and benefits such as gifts and nice words. And then when that doesn't work, they then try to control you by withholding things from you, which is money or friendships. And when then that doesn't work, they eventually turn to physical abuse and it may even lead to your death. You see, what the domestic violence really is, it's just a great controversy being played out in a home today. And that is the spirit of Babylon in control. You see, we have the spirit of Babylon when we get mad at others, give them the silent treatment, pressure them, manipulate them, nag them, guilt trip them, and even give people the cold shoulder. Why? To get people to do what we want them to do. You ever did any of those things before? That's the spirit of Babylon. Your parents ever did that to you before? That's the spirit of Babylon. There was an older woman that I was counseling with, and her husband was abusive to her, very emotionally abusive. And she said she was married to him for 30 years. And for 30 years, she totally gave in. She was a PK, pastor's kids. My heart goes out to any PKs out here. But she lived in a home where just do whatever it says. You know, the Bible says that women are to submit themselves unto the Lord. Amen? But it says, as even unto the Lord. What do you say? Amen? In other words, if you're losing the dictates of your conscience, if you're losing all these, your own beliefs and convictions, if you're asked to do things that goes against the word of God, you have every right to say no. What do you say? Amen? And you should say no. And so she decided after 30 years of marriage and being a good Adventist wife from a pastor's home of submission, she decided, I'm going to stand. And she said, by giving in to the abuse of the abuser of my husband, I'm really enabling him to continue to be an abuser. And so she stood up against him. 30 years of marriage, her children had already left the home. And she decided that she was going to separate herself from her husband and leave. 
which is different from divorce, by the way. She didn't believe in divorce, but she did believe in separation. So she decided to leave. But before that, she was breaking away. She wasn't giving in to her husband, and she was pulling away. And you know what happened? Exactly what happened in this text. In 30 years of marriage, she said, he never touched me. Never once. But she said, the moment I began not to give in to the abuser, he began to become physical with me for the first time ever. See, why would an abuser want to be physical and use physical force to control you, right? If they had an easier means such as not buying or selling first, right? And there's going to be people who are going to be compromising with that first. And then they realize there's going to be a small remnant in the last days that believes in them following the dictates of their conscience more than following the dictates of the government. What do you say, amen? That God's going to use them and dictates of other people and of their home and their relationships. And so she did that. She said that he used to come by her while she was cooking dinner and he used to bump into her really hard. And she goes like, what do you do that for? And then finally she said, I'm going to approach him. So she went up to him. She said, why are you physically abusing me? And you know what he said? I'm not physically abusing you. Denial. I'm not physically abusing you. And they like, when did I physically abuse you? And she said, when I'm cooking dinner I'm, and I'm making dinner and, I'm, and you come by me and you bang me. And you know what he said? He went like this. Oh, that. And he walked away. When did Jesus die for us? Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 in your Bibles. When did Jesus die for us? The Bible says this. But God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet, what? Sinners, what? Christ died for us. In other words, while we were sinners, Christ, what? Loved us. And he showed love for us. You know, love is action. He didn't say, I love you, but he actually proved his love. Christ actually showed his actions of love toward us. Even though you were a sinner, that's the gospel. And that's the character of Christ. In other words, God loves you before, because you're still a sinner, before you even change. What do you say? Amen? God accepts you. God loves you before you change. Completely opposite of Babylon. He said, I'm only going to love you. I'm only going to accept you. I'm only going to show you affection if I get you to do what I want you to do. But the gospel comes and says, God says, I love you before you change. You don't need a change for me to love you. I accept you and love you as you are. And when you receive that love, you want to submit and surrender your life fully to him. What do you say? Amen? You know, many people think that the final crisis is primarily what day we are to worship, Saturday and Sunday. But that's not the primary issue.
There's another issue more important. What if we were the majority? What if we were to pass a national Sabbath law that everyone would worship on the Sabbath and be forced to worship on the Sabbath? Would God be pleased? We would keep all ten of God's commandments. The whole nation as a whole would keep and we would legislate morality, right? On the outside, would God be pleased? Let's look at inspiration says, the spirit of prophecy. Notice what it says here. Review in Herald, April 15, 1890, paragraph 13. Notice what it says. Not a move has been made in exalting the idol Sabbath and bringing around Sunday observance through legislation. But Satan has been behind it and has been the chief worker. Now notice what it says. But the conscience, the what? The conscience should not be compelled even for the observance of the general Sabbath. What do you say? Amen? For God will only accept willing service. Amen? See, the great controversy in the last days is that will we follow the dictates of our conscience? God values your conscience. In other words, He will never force you to do what He wants you to do. What a God. Amen? And the spirit of Babylon of Revelation in the end times to the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar, which was in Nebuchadnezzar's day, to the image of the Babylon also, which is today, and all of these areas, you see that they use the spirit of Babylon to control you. That is why in the last days there arise a remnant who will protest against the abuses of the church, the abuses of the government, and the abuses of one's mind over another. And the reason why they were protested is because they would have valued the freedom to worship and love God according to the dictates of their conscience more than they would have valued their very own lives. Don't you want to be a part of that? I want that. How about you? Amen? What is God's method of obedience for us? Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. This is God's method of obedience for us. The Bible says, verse 3, The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with a what? Everlasting love. How does God work? Therefore, with loving kindness have I what? Drawn. Draw you. In other words, the gospel should be so attractive, it does not force people, but it attracts people. What do you say? Amen. You know, I cringe every time I hear on, I serve on a conference in Zeka community. I, I cringe every time I hear when people talk about, well, let's just force that church to do that. Well, let's just force the church members to do this. Well, let's just force and outvote this person. Let's just force the pastor to do this because he should do it. I cringe every time I hear that because that's revealing the spirit of Satan rather than the spirit of God. What do you say? Amen. And many of us here are guilty of that very same spirit. I know I was. Saul was an abuser. He persecuted the true Christians in his church. And Saul, at that time, who became Paul, Saul said he was blameless concerning the righteousness in the law. In other words, Saul is present truth. Perfect. Obeying the righteousness of the law. And yet Saul went out 
and he persecuted the true Christians within the church. He was a present truth abuser. Could it be possible today that there are spiritual abusers in the church? Could it be possible that there are present truth spiritual abusers in the church? See, beloved, God woos us and inspires us to change because of his love. Then how could we as medical missionaries use guilt trips to get people to change their diet? If God wants to be our friend, even though he knows that we're not going to be open to what he has us to say, then how could we as Bible workers only befriend those who are interested in the Bible studies you're given? If God attracts us in order to give us something he knows we need, then how could we as call porters use high-pressure salesman tactics just to get a sale? If God would chase us down to the uttermost parts of the world, even when we don't want anything to do with God, then how could we just drop someone the moment we find out that they're no longer interested in coming to our meetings? Is our love conditional that I'm only going to befriend this person coming to our evangelistic meeting? And the moment he says, I don't want to come anymore, like, oh, forget about you. Is that how God treats you and me when we sin? So, I mean, the moment that you're not interested in God, hey, forget about you, lost sheep. I'm no longer going to search for you. Is that how God treats us? Then how could we treat people like that? How could God's remnant church be treating people like that in the means we're reaching out to people? You know, the world is pretty sharp. And they're getting smarter and smarter. And they're seeing whether you're real or not. They want to know not only the truth that you have. They want to know what is your motive. What do you want to get out of me? Baptism? To join your church for selfish purposes so you can glorify yourself in your church and brag about what you all the baptisms you did? They're smart. They can see that. And they want to know what is the motive? Why are you doing this? Do you really have an unconditional love? You mean even if I don't join your church, you still would love me? You know, they see that. People always want to get stuff out of them. You know, when they don't give them things and people walk away, then they know, wow, this guy, yeah, he's only trying to get me something out of me. The world is smart. The children of darkness is wiser than the children of light. And they can see through us in false evangelistic methods. But when they see a people who reflecting his character of love, who loves them like Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 10. That even if you don't change, I'm still your friend. And when you see that, they will come in. What do you say, amen? They will come in by the masses. Inspiration says, Desire of Ages, page 22 in your handout. The earth was dark through misapprehension of God that the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God, Satan's deceptive power was to be broken. This could not be done by what? Force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principle of God's government. What do you say? Amen? He desires only the service of love. And love cannot be commanded. It cannot be worn by force or authority. 
Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love Him. What do you say, church? Amen? That is the spirit of Christ in the great controversy. The spirit of Babylon, of Satan, and the spirit of Christ, which is attracting love. See, what's going to happen in the last days is that America will have lost its attractive power on the inside. And thus, we have to resort to legislating morality on the outside. And, beloved, the reason why so many of us use force, manipulation, and pressure in God's remnant church today. Is because we have lost the attractive power of God's unconditional love in our hearts. God wants us to change. The reason why so many of us pressure our spouses, our children, our friends, and guilt trip them to obey God, because that is how we see Him to be toward us. So the revelation of God's character is this when you see, And you study God's glory, His character, who He really is, His thoughts and feelings. By beholding His thoughts, guess what's going to happen to you? You will become what? Changed from glory to glory, from character to character. And you reflect His character more and more. So it is important that we get into the Word and the Spirit of prophecy to understand how is God really like. All things are moving quickly towards the supremacy of Babylon once again. And the sad thing is that God's people, who are supposed to be representatives of His character of love, have instead allowed the spirit of Babylon to enter our hearts. Beloved, let us allow the love of Christ to enter into our hearts. Let us fully surrender to His unconditional love. Let's continue to submit our lives to the pleadings of His Holy Spirit. For if we do, we will have the character of Christ perfectly reproduced within His people. I want that. How about you? Amen? This morning I wanted this Kathleen to sing about the cross. You know, God convicted me about the cross. I used to think love, grace, until I realized that as a minister I was working by works. I was sucked up in the legalism of present truth. And I was doing this. And I realized that even though I had a good external form and I looked good on the outside, my old habits started to come back into my life once again. It's been a long journey back for me. Long journey. Just as you lost, just like they lost out of Jesus, Desire just says, right? For one day, Ellen White said it took what? Many days of final. That's my testimony. I lost out of Jesus. I knew the doctrines. I knew the standards. I knew the prophecy. And I knew this. And in knowing all this, I lost sight of the power. Faith in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says, faith works, right? But faith works by what? Love. That's the power that makes faith truly work. You got to have the love. That's the power. 
And we need to get the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, right? The first one, joy, peace, right? Which is a tree that gives fruit. Then what is the roots grounded in? In Ephesians, it says that we need to be rooted and grounded in what? Love. If we're rooted and grounded in love, then we're going to produce fruits of love. What do you say, amen? And when we have that, God will do a powerful miracle in our churches. just want to make an appeal to your mind. And as Kathleen sings this song at the cross, I want you to put yourself there. And I want you to ask God, God, like Moses, please show me your glory. Reveal to me a character of love as he sings. And may you give your life to him. I want to give my life to him. How about you? How many of you want to give your life to him? Give me, let me see your hands. Just reveal to you his love. Amen. Meditate as Kathleen sings at the cross.
to the cross, I want to bow my knee. How about you? Amen? Father, we are grateful for the cross where your love is concentrated. Lord, may we make a commitment to spend a thoughtful hour every day studying the life of Christ. especially the closing scenes of the cross. And as we do this, may we see the great love you have and may we contrast that with the spirit of Babylon. Lord, may this love chase out the spirit of Babylon from our hearts that we may truly, on the inside, come out of her, my people. Lord, this is the prayer your people here at SWYC. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.